On today's episode of The Door Report, presented by Alaco Hardwood Flooring, Bruno Reagan, former Vanderbilt offensive lineman, joins the pod to discuss the firing of head coach Derek Mason and potential candidates to become the next Vanderbilt head coach on West End. We've got all that and a whole lot more coming up here on The Door Report. Let's ride. Welcome into another episode of The Door Report, the premier Vanderbilt podcast in Music City. We are presented by Alaco Hardwood Flooring. No matter what style you're going for, you can trust your flooring job to Alaco Hardwood Flooring. Take a walk through the woods in your home every day and get your job started today by logging on to alacohardwoodflooring.com or you can email the founder, Jimmy Alaco. That's jimmyalaco at comcast.net. They are located right here in Nashville, Tennessee, so it's nice and easy for the locals. You can call 615-356-0303. That's 615-356-0303. Alaco Hardwood Flooring, perfect floors, whatever your style. You may ask, who are the Recycling Dudes? Well, they are brothers, Graydon and Chapman, and their dad, Drew Smith, who is a Metro Nashville firefighter. Living in West Mead, the Recycling Dudes recognized a need for a service that would take glass to the recycling for busy homeowners who care about our environment. They pick up your glass, separate it, and take it to be recycled. They offer monthly service as well as one-time party pickup. They have a variety of service levels to fit every budget and every need, starting as low as $10 per month. All you have to do is sign up on their website at RecyclingDudes.com. Welcome back into The Door Report. It is episode 52. It is a Sunday night, November 29th on a Thanksgiving holiday weekend. Welcome back into The Door Report, presented by Alaco Hardwood Flooring, alongside my trusty co-host, Will Byram. I'm Billy Derrick, as we welcome you back into another pod, it is episode 52. We're still rolling, Will, and what a weekend, my friend. Boy, this this covering Vanderbilt isn't easy. Yeah, this is uh, a lot to talk about, and it's hard to kind of pick where you want to focus your attention. You have the season opener of basketball, a Missouri game that didn't go the way we wanted it to go. Nope. Um, the historic kicking situation that Vanderbilt had, oh, and boy. then you have the bombshell dropped on uh, – Vanderbilt Nation today as well, which is going to take the majority of our attention. No doubt, right in the middle of the Tennessee Titans game. So uh, <laughs> definitely a lot a lot going on in Nashville today. You touched on men's basketball. We'll talk about that a lot as well. And also later in the podcast, Bruno Reagan, former Vanderbilt offensive lineman, will join us. Great conversation with him diving in to the breaking news today with Derek Mason being fired. No longer the head coach at Vanderbilt, the interim is Todd Fitch. So he will be the head coach as Vanderbilt faces Georgia in Athens on Saturday. But before we get to the breaking news, don't forget to follow us on Twitter. That's at door underscore report and Instagram door dot report. Like us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Our podcast is available on anchor iTunes, Spotify, and Google podcasts. Oh, and while you're at it, go give our podcast five stars and a good review on iTunes. All right. Well, men's basketball tipped off this past Friday and 
it was an interesting game. Uh, I know a lot of people in Vegas were, were very happy. Um, Stackhouse wanted his Commodores to hold on to their double-digit lead, but they didn't. Uh, and Coach Stackhouse had a really funny quote. He said, hate it for those betters. It still baffles me how those folks get that because I know we didn't do a lot of things right, and it felt like we should have had a little bit more separation in that. But the people in Vegas were happy, Will. And, and Coach Stack was happy after the game. Obviously, in a season like this, you can't expect a whole lot in the first game. Um, I think you know both of us can agree on the fact that the team just looked a little lackadaisical, maybe a little lazy and, and just a little rusty. And it's a couple of guys in particular. Uh, but again, they got the win, Will. And I don't know if we could have said the same thing at this point last season. Yeah, I'm always happy with the victory. But um, I will say that before the game started, I did get Vanderbilt at minus five and a half. So they did cover for me. So stack, I do appreciate that. Um, <laughs> it, it did look like the team was a little bit rusty, which is completely understandable. You have a lot of new pieces in there combined with the unique situation of uh, COVID and limited practices, limited team participation, having the group all together. And then, you know, the, the season ending prematurely last year and just this weird offseason we've experienced, but Offense was disjointed, uh, kind of yeah. understandably coming into this coming into this game. But somebody that really looked rusty, which it looked like he hadn't played in two years, which is exactly which... what happened, was DJ <laughs> Harvey. Um, he's somebody that I expect to continue to kind of get into the flow of that offense and, and perform well. But one thing I do want to point out that was outstanding was Vanderbilt's free throw shooting. Nothing mm. bothers me more How about than a that? team team in division one college basketball that can't shoot free throws and Vanderbilt shot over 85% for the line. Scotty Pippen in Perfect. particular, went 14 of 14, which was a struggle for him last season. It wasn't horrible, but it was a struggle to shut around that 70% mark, which is not really what you want from your point guard. But obviously that was a point of focus for him in this off season. And he looked much improved. He looked like he'd taken a massive step mm -hmm. forward as far as his entire game is concerned. No doubt. And he, and he was the MVP. He had 25 points as the Commodores held off Valpo 14-14 uh, to 14 from the free throw line. And, and you, Stack mentioned it after the game. They definitely struggled last season. Uh, but for them to, to start hot at the free throw line was definitely big. Max Evans will also, you know, just showing the fact that he, he's been at Vanderbilt for a while. He knows how to, how to compete, and, and he's a winner. You know, he had 16 points for Vanderbilt. This was Vanderbilt's latest start in 31 years dating to the 1989-90 season against SMU on the same date. So you mentioned it, Will. It's a game the Commodores really been waiting since March 11th when they played um, uh, the SEC tournament game before they canceled the event. So again, it was it was it's been a weird offseason, as you mentioned. But big picture, Will, this team going forward, they're going to have to play a lot better. <laughs> you know, it's they they can't play the way they did against Valpo and expect to win. Um, you know, even five or six SEC games because this is a very, very competitive SEC season. Yeah, shooting 40% from the field really isn't going to get it done against anybody outside of a team um, from a mid-major conference like Valpo. But there were some things to build on the team. I, I don't want to say that they were lackadaisical. They played hard. It just looked like they weren't in the flow of the game, almost like they hadn't uh, been able to have any real scrimmages against opponents or anything like that, which is the case. So it's mm -hmm. kind of what I expected. It was a little bit sloppier, a little bit more disjointed on offense than I'd kind of hoped for. But it, it was a performance that you can kind of look forward to the rest of the season. One of my favorite phrases is always, an ugly win is always better than a pretty loss. No doubt. No doubt about that. And Vanderbilt, 
uh, after getting the win over Valpo 77-71. We also saw a report today from Jeff Goodman um, basically saying that Vanderbilt has dropped out of the Legends Classic that they were supposed to play in on Tuesday night against UConn. So definitely disappointing news, Will, but uh, that doesn't mean the season's over. Um, you know, it is due to COVID. We haven't gotten a confirmation from Vanderbilt, but we did get confirmation that the Florida Gators are heading up to Connecticut to play in the Mohegan Sun and likely replace Vanderbilt. So still a lot of speculation on that front. We'll continue to monitor that situation at the door report. So men's basketball, they uh, moving on to the schedule, Will. They will play against, it looks like, SMU next Tuesday the eighth. So again, SMU, a great team that Vanderbilt will have a tough time dealing with. So we'll look forward to that one. Meanwhile, Will, let's continue to roll on. Vanderbilt faced off against the Missouri Tigers on Saturday in football, and it was not good. 41 to zero loss. And Sarah Fuller, the female kicker was the story. And obviously she made history and congratulations to her. Um, She did something that a lot of, of women, I don't know if have tried to do, but maybe have wanted to do, but haven't necessarily been able to have the guts, um, you know, to go out there and actually do it. And that's what she did. So kudos to her, but will it's more important that Vanderbilt, you know, looked so bad on the field. They lost 41 to zero to a very average Missouri team. That was very confusing. And that obviously, you know, created the, the Derek Mason firing. Yeah, before I touch on the Missouri game, I do want to go back to basketball really quickly. Something we forgot to mention. You mentioned uh, Max Evans' performance, but one play yes. in particular, his block and transition Ooh. kind of changed. It completely changed that game. That, that was a spark. Came down. He came down and attempted to dunk on uh, one of the Valparaiso players and ended up getting fouled, shooting two at the line, and that changed the whole yeah. energy of that game. So Big time spark. Max Evans for that performance is the consummate leading senior no doubt. on that team. but. To the Missouri game, you had extra eyes on the Vanderbilt program because of Sarah Fuller. And congratulations to her for going out and executing that squib kick to the 35, how she was coached to execute it. Unfortunately, Vanderbilt was unable to even sniff field goal range in order Mm -hmm. to give her maybe even a chance to see the field. I don't think they would have kicked a field goal after seeing her pregame warmups and the range that she had. But they didn't even get the opportunity for the announcers to talk about it. Um, And those extra eyes on Vanderbilt was extra embarrassing to see the performance that they had. And a lot of what I was going to discuss was going to be relating to Derek Mason. And obviously um, that is no longer relevant as he was fired as the head coach with Todd Fitch coming in as the interim. So I I don't want to get too hung up on the 41 to nothing loss because we don't know the situation surrounding if rumors are swirling within that locker room as far as Mason's head coaching job security. Yeah, and, and Will, you look at it, obviously Sarah Fuller made history, but I think a lot of people around the country were were just thinking way too much uh, about, you know, making history as opposed to winning the game and, and looking actually decent on the field, and they kind of forgot, hey, wait, Vanderbilt has to get in field goal position for her to even get a chance, and, and how ironic, as you mentioned, Vanderbilt does not get into field goal range really the entire game. Um and, and another ironic piece was this favorable offense. Well, we know it has been, you know, they put up, they, they put up, they produced these past couple of weeks and, and they lay an egg um, very interestingly enough uh, on Saturday in Columbia. So 
Um, it's, 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 it's all kind of cul- you know, culminated into Derek Mason, no longer having a job. And, and, and we talked about it with, with, uh, with Bruno Reagan. And, and again, can't wait for, for all you guys to hear that, but um, you know, for, for coach Mason, it, it's, it's just a tough spot for him to be in obviously, but there's no, there's no sugarcoating it. Will he, he definitely, um, you know, deserved, I don't want to say deserved it. That's a horrible way to put it, but this is, this is what needed to happen. And he did put out a statement on Twitter. That was very classy. He said, it has truly been my honor to have been given the opportunity to teach mentor champion and coach hundreds of Vanderbilt young men and one courageous female. And he also said on behalf of the entire Vanderbilt community, I want to extend my deepest gratitude Oh, this is actually Candace Tori Lee. Um, <laughs> deepest gratitude. Wow, my bad. Deepest gratitude to Coach Mason for his many years of dedication and service leading our football program. So Candace Story Lee goes on. Um, and again, will Todd Fitch uh, will serve as the interim head coach um, and a search will begin immediately. So uh, we talked about it a lot with Bruno, but uh, but will I, I know we're in agreement on this. This uh, this had to happen. Yeah, Mason, this was – I have a feeling that because this happened so quickly after the Missouri loss, this was something that had been in talks, and they were hoping to be able mm-hmm. to do this after the season. But with early the early signing day quickly approaching and trying to shore up that 2021 class, it was probably time as of the essence to make sure to maintain as much of that class as possible. Um, it, it was one of those that it was kind of – unavoidable to have this happen as quickly as it did because you had Sarah Fuller, you had the national media attention, you had a lot of eyes on that Mm. game and to come out and have a performance like that with a lot of people that really don't watch Vanderbilt football regularly was something that without a drastic move was going to be a big black eye on the Vanderbilt program that that is already struggling with its national reputation mm-hmm. overall. And and I've been a big critic of Derek Mason and, and very outspoken as far as me not thinking that he is the person to get the job done. But I think that everyone is in agreement. And when you talk to former players, and, and Bruno mentions it uh, when we speak with him later in this podcast, None of that criticism is relating to Derek Mason as a human being off the field. Um, I, I still have yet to hear anybody uh, discuss anything less than him being a, an outstanding human being and an outstanding person. So yeah. this is an on-the-field issue, and that's something that in college football today is kind of is kind of rare. So kudos to Derek Mason and, and giving some good memories as far as beating Tennessee three years in a row and, and some great wins um, on West End. Yeah, I mean, the three in a row against Tennessee was something I definitely didn't expect when Coach Mason came, and, and he, he kind of brought a renewed energy that we saw with Coach Franklin, but uh, it's definitely been fleeting these past two seasons. The record says it all. Vanderbilt went 3-17 and 17 the past two years, 1-15 and 15 in the SEC, and they've lost 12 straight SEC games and 27 players have either transferred or opted out since the end of last season, especially with Dimitri Moore um, uh, opting out as well and then deciding to transfer after playing against Florida. So, uh, again, this is a fluid situation, uh, but Todd Fitch has been named the interim. And how about this for Todd Fitch's first game, a game between the hedges against the Georgia Bulldogs this Saturday. We'll talk more about that one later in this week, but they are also working to reschedule the final home game against Tennessee, uh, which was postponed by the SEC uh, to help Missouri uh, catch up on their games played. But um, right now, Will Vanderbilt is is in an interesting spot. A lot of times uh, you see in an, with an interim coach that there's a renewed sense of energy and, and kind of, um, a, you know, us against the world mentality. Not sure if we're going to see that 
um, in Athens against Georgia. Yeah, I, I think it's a damn good chance to see it against Tennessee for Vanderbilt's final home game. That should be fun. But in terms of this one against Georgia and kind of a mentality and mindset this, that this team could be playing with, it should be interesting, Will. Yeah, I think that Fitch really does have an idea. I think he will get a real look in these last two games will be a real evaluation of him because obviously mm-hmm. Seals is familiar with his offensive system. And and I think the first thing that needs to happen is is we need to build around Ken Seals. He's shown enough this season, in my opinion, that he is going to be the quarterback for the next three, if not four years um, for Vanderbilt. So getting someone in there that he is comfortable with and then getting the pieces around him to succeed. Uh, if Fitch isn't the guy um, kind of we we go into candidates and obviously at this point it, it, it's all speculation but, mm-hmm. but my dream pipe dream candidate if you take away Franklin and, and that long situation <laughs> that Adam Adam Sparks wrote about um, is yeah. Jamie Chadwell at Coastal Carolina if he has any interest in mm-hmm. that job that would be my a1 number one five-star name on that list and then Jay Norvell uh, from Nevada the the big thing and we talked about it with Bruno and he had a little bit differing opinion but I'm really looking for an offensive coach. I think that an offensive coach is what Vanderbilt needs to succeed um, in in this situation. They can't recruit in the same way that the 13 other teams in the SEC can recruit. And having someone in there that is a splash hire with a unique system that can recruit specifically for his system guys that may be going under the radar, which you find more on the offensive side of the ball, I think is the only way that Vanderbilt is going to be able to have real success or maintain success um, in in Southeastern Conference. Yeah, and, and especially with Todd Fitch, if he finds a way to beat Tennessee – boy, is there a lot more traction with him because if you beat Tennessee as, as, as anyone, you, you, could be, you could have been Robbie Caldwell and you beat Tennessee. You've got a, a legit shot at, at keeping that job. But right now, I, I, you know, I wouldn't necessarily put Todd Fitch at the top of my list. Uh, Vanderbilt has not put out, I don't, you know, I doubt they'll put out a list, but um, right now it's all speculation. Uh, but some guys that instantly I look at and get excited about are Will Healy from Charlotte. And again, we have been Will Healy guys. Um, mm. At least I have, you know, and, and uh, you know, other people here at the door report just in promoting him and, and really, you know, looking forward to him getting a shot at Vanderbilt because of what he did at Austin P and, and now what he's doing at Charlotte. I mean, he built Austin P Bruno Reagan goes into this cause he's a Charlotte, he's uh, not a Charlotte guy. He's a Clarksville guy. And he said he built it from the ground up, and, and that's exactly what he's done at Charlotte. So we'll see what kind of a shot Will Healy gets. But also, Will, um, Clark Lee, the defensive coordinator at Notre Dame, he's a Nashville kid. He grew up in Nashville, went to Montgomery Bell Academy, and he was a fullback at Vanderbilt, actually a walk-on, and, and had a decent career at Vandy. And, and um, you know, now he's the defensive coordinator at Notre Dame, leading a great defense who has a chance uh, to, to make the, the college football playoffs. So – um, right now, Will, I'm, I'm torn between those two guys. Uh, Clark Lee is a guy that, you know, with his Nashville pedigree, could, could bring a lot of energy and excitement in from the fan base. But right now, I think Will Healy is, is, is my guy, at least because of, you know, kind of the traction he has built in the state of Tennessee and kind of his broad reach. And I think, you know, he could be a great recruiter because right now, Will, let's face it, you got to be able to recruit at a level that James Franklin did if you want to bring Vanderbilt back to respectability. I mean, because if you look at it, Will Healy, he did a recruiting job that has never been seen in Austin P. And with his roots, he could do some damage in Nashville. 
Yeah, the 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 biggest thing, and and we mentioned this with Bruno, was you don't want to say you just want the opposite of the last coach. And and right now, a lot of Vanderbilt fans are hesitant to bring in another defensive coordinator with good pedigree in because it's they're thinking of it as more the same. And and I kind of fall into that trap as well. But with that being said, I really hope they don't bring in a defensive coach or a defensive coordinator with a good pedigree because all the signs, and, th- and this is more getting to the point of the head coaching hiring, it, it's really a crapshoot. I mean, honestly, you, you the guys that look like home run hires don't yeah. end up panning out, and then guys that, that people take shots on working out. So it's more finding the right guy and just kind of hoping and praying that, that he's able to turn that program around. But with that being said, I, I'm really looking for Vanderbilt to make some sort of splash hire with, with a more exciting brand of football than we've really seen since 2014 that Derek Mason era began. And, and another, one more note here before we get on to Bruno Reagan, because I know a lot of listeners are excited about that. Jordan Rogers on Twitter, he was actually responding to Clay Travis. Clay asked, who should Vanderbilt football hire? And Jordan Rogers talked about uh, the fact that Vanderbilt is, is a lot different than South Carolina. South Carolina, um, obviously, is probably looking at more of an offensive guy after having Will Muschamp. Vandy is much different, Jordan Rogers said. He thinks Vanderbilt needs a proven program builder and, and a guy built for this as a first thought. And he said Barry Odom has the DNA mm-hmm. for this job. So um, interesting there from the former Vandy quarterback, Jordan Rogers, obviously being a big proponent of Barry Odom, but we'll, we'll continue to monitor this. Obviously Vanderbilt is in another coaching search season after seven years of coach Mason, that era is over and Vanderbilt moves on as Candace story. Lee makes a, a historical move. I mean, you know, I don't really want to sugarcoat it, but this is a big time move from her and, and really sending a statement that Vanderbilt, you know, I don't want to already say they're committed to football. You know, we hope they're committed to football, uh, but we'll see with this hire how committed they are to football on West End. And we'll also see what Bruno Reagan has uh, to say about uh, this hire. Well, I mean, they haven't hired anyone yet. This firing uh, with Coach Mason, uh, you know, hopefully we're talking about a hiring. Uh, but Bruno Reagan, the former Vanderbilt football player from 2014 to 2018, joins the door report coming right up. Stay tuned. As we welcome you back into the door report, Bruno Reagan, the native of Clarksville, Tennessee. He attended Clarksville High School, and many of you know him playing at Vanderbilt as an O-lineman in 2014 all the way through 2018. He signed with Vanderbilt in 2014. He played four years as a lineman until his senior season came uh, in 2018. And during that senior season, listen to this, he graded higher than any other center or guard in the SEC, according to Pro Football Focus, and didn't allow a sack all season. So Kyle Shermer has to be thanking our guest right now, Bruno Reagan. He eventually signed with the XFL St. Louis Battlehawks as uh, they went 3-2 and two before the season was unfortunately suspended due to COVID-19. But now he serves as a sports journalist and content creator at VandySports.com. So we are obviously honored to have Bruno Reagan on the podcast right now. Bruno, thanks so much for coming on. How would you describe the, the past couple days as a journalist covering Vandy football now? No problem. Uh, no problem coming on, guys. I mean, listen, this has been a pretty wild week, I guess. This has probably been the most that Vandy has been on the national scene in yeah. terms of media. I mean, heck, I know since I've been here, I don't know if any of the football moments were bigger than the Sarah Fuller moment. That might have been. I mean, that could be one of the top sports stories of of a decade. 
the way that thing was received. So other than that, uh, I was glad when all the, the craziness passed, you know, I was like, okay, you know, maybe we could reset to a normal game week and things slow down. And then, you know, we get hit with the, <laughs> with the news this morning. And then all of a sudden now it's, you know, everybody, all the journalists got to get up on there, get up and start their speculations, start their lists uh, because now we got a head coaching search. So, yeah, well, I guess we can just jump right into that. That's at the forefront of everyone's minds, but mm-hmm. I, I don't think they're going to hand you the keys to the kingdom right now, but, but let's just say theoretically that they hand you that, that athletic director job. Um, what is your first step and, and who, who do you think is that first call for you as far as getting a feeler out for that head, vacant head coaching position? Yeah, before I say any names, but the first thing I would look for at Vanderbilt is obvi- obviously it's someone who's going to have to be a high-level recruiter, right? I think we can look at uh, – We'll have patches of really good personnel at Vanderbilt. I mean, we have a we have a pretty good number of guys in the pros, right? But for depth has been a long issue at Vanderbilt. Mm-hmm. So we'll have like we'll have an we'll have a basically SEC capable offense some years, and a defense not so much. And some positions will be super stacked. Some positions look like they belong in you know the FCS. So we need someone who can fill out the roster with with guys, and that's why I'm looking for it first. So that's why, and this is someone who was close to me in proximity while I was a big fan of Will Healy. So if you listen to my, my, uh, my podcast with Chris, that was the first name I came, that, that name came out of my mouth, like about three, four weeks ago. And it was the first one I mentioned too, you know, I'm, I'm, he's definitely someone I would have a talk, a conversation with because then, then the AD is going to have to, you know, really vet these guys because Will Healy has been at a lower level, right? You would typically want someone who has played longer at or coached longer at a higher level, but, the way he changed around Austin P listen, I'm from Clarksville. Austin P was a dud football. It was historically the worst football program ever. And he turned that around just with sheer recruiting. He was bringing in guys from the sec guys mm-hmm. from big 10. He just got guys in that were winners. And I want that to happen at Vanderbilt. Now, is it as simple as that? No, but that's where my first, that's the first thing that pops into my mind at the very beginning of this. Now, Vanderbilt, the search just started today. Vanderbilt does not have a list. All the lists we have are people who basically make sense and are interested in the job. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And it's, it's all speculation right now. We love to speculate on mm-hmm. head coaches. You mentioned Will Healy and uh, you know, you're very familiar with him being our Clarksville guy. He's in his second season at Charlotte. And last year, Bruno, as you know, they earned a berth in the Bahamas Bowl. So Healy, yep. Healy can flat out coach. And, and we know that. But another guy that is on Vanderbilt fans radar is Clark Lee, the defensive coordinator mm-hmm. at Notre Dame. It seems, Bruno, I don't know if you're with me on this, but it seems as if Vandy fans are kind of split on these two. And there's other candidates, but these yeah. two seem to be the top couple guys that Vanderbilt fans are looking at right now how would you compare those two obviously Will Healy has been a head coach Clark Lee is a Nashville guy being from NBA and and a graduate at Vanderbilt so how would you kind of compare and contrast those two coaches yeah well Healy's a or Healy's Healy's more the head coach you know CEO type and Clark Lee has no Clark Lee doesn't have head coaching experience at the level right now you know he's a defensive coordinator at Notre Dame and I think uh you can see somehow I've been really skeptical recently with, you know, hiring coordinators on sometimes it works really well. That's the thing about this coaching hires guys. Like we just don't flat out know if they're going to be good or not. Some, mm-hmm. you know, some guys can be a coordinator, come out to be a head coach and be amazing. You know, they just fit the job really well. They've always had that, I guess that head coach mindset. Some guys that are coordinators come out to be head coaches. They're duds. Some, te- some teams like Michigan will go out, hire like, 
the perfect guy, you know, a guy who's been a head coach successful in a long time, like Jim Harbaugh. And then somehow that does. So, so with, I think, I think people, you know, the people who are shying away from Clark, from what I'm seeing is because, you know, there, there's a remnants of, Oh, we just had a defensive coordinator head coach. You know, I don't know if I want to go down that route. And that's why some people are more on the Healy side, but that's, I mean, Healy is like the young potential type figure when you see that yeah yeah that's the that's kind of vibe you get and then we miss that (laughs) i know i know because you guys had i mean it was before my time but there was a lot of success see i'm not too broken up about it the only reason i got to Vanderbilt (laughs) was because franklin left but (laughs) you're on the total you're on the opposite (laughs) side of the spectrum now (laughs) yeah but but i think that's i think that's what people see when they see healy and then when they see obviously clark is you know wildly successful too Notre Dame's an extremely good program i play against that defense it, they're really good so yeah you kind of led into what my next question was going to be i think a lot of the time co- or fans are looking for what when a coaching when a coaching situation kind of ends how this one did with the Derek Mason era they're looking for the opposite of what the last guy <laughs> was as opposed to necessarily the best fit so <laughs> as a former player you might have a more in-depth perspective on this but how much of an impact does really like a defensive minded head coach versus an offensive minded head coach kind of impact the program and, and how it's run and and what's your opinion on that as far as as head coaching success relating to that mm-hmm uh, I think it's funny. The first point you mentioned, it's kind of like elections. One year we're like, ah, oh, these people do it. All right. And then we're a little bit flipping like, ah, nah, these people do it. All right. We're going to go with these people. But um, yeah. So I, th- I think typically, you know, in the biased part of my brain, we see offensive minded head coaches do better. I, you know, obviously don't have a statistic to prove that, but, it, but when you say offensive or defensive minded head coach, the head coach has one job and that's to be the CEO of the team mm-hmm. for, for a head coach. Really? They just make the executive decisions and they can have some say in the, in the whiteboard room if they want to, in terms of scheme and stuff like that. I mean, obviously they run everything, but there's not many head coaches that pull a coach Mason and they, they're a defensive minded head coach. And then one year they're just like, I'm also the defensive coordinator. That doesn't happen a lot, a lot at all. So I would, I don't think really being an offensive or defensive minded guy really correlates to the success of the head coach has. I think someone who just shows great leadership qualities, like for example, James Franklin, he's not really, you know, I don't know what you would call him. He's simply just a leader he's a type. Coach. Yeah. yeah. He's just, mm-hmm. he's just, he knows how to run an organization. Heck, I, you could even with what I've seen, in the head coaching position sometimes i'm like dude this guy doesn't even like if you really want to you don't even have to know football you just have to be able to say the right things get the right people and that's basically it you know can you identify good football play you it's just like being and i hate to point it back to politics but it's just like being the president you know everybody kind of does the work for you but then you have the final say in everything Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, you mentioned that a lot of times uh, head coaches don't come in there and say, I'm also the defensive coordinator. Well, that, that's got to be something uh, in the drinking water here in Nashville because you've got Vrabel <laughs> with the Titans doing the same exact thing right now in the NFL. So that that's a unique situation that we've seen with some national sports teams in recent years. Yeah, and, and 
Bruno, I want to ask you now kind of about the notion that Vanderbilt should hire a coach who will come in and run the triple option. Uh, to me, <laughs> oh to me, God. it's we've heard it a lot. You know, we've we've been hearing this for the past, at least I have for the past few years. To me, it's an it's absolutely ridiculous. I mean, who in the right mm-hmm. mind would think the triple option would work in the SEC? And and obviously Georgia Tech with Paul Johnson, they had some success. But if you look back at his career, it took him a couple of years, if not a few, to actually get that going. And then you saw him kind of falter late in his career there um, in Atlanta. So I, I really don't understand where they're coming from. Can you can you help me out here? Because <laughs> I, I really don't. I'm really confused. Uh, this question is good practice, I guess, because I've been preparing for this question when I hop on midday and I, I, oh, I yeah. see that Chad Withrow hey, is like a huge, uh, he he's will- like, pay, he's like, pay the triple option guys what they need and be done with it. And I'm just like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. Hey, this Please, is a no. little bit of practice and, we're giving it. And listen, man, I got trounced by the triple option, right? 2016, we went to Georgia Tech. We yep. scored on the first drive. They scored on the first drive. We scored on the first drive. And we were like, dang, we got a ball game. And then they proceeded to score like 31 unanswered on us. I remember vividly. But, <laughs> and I was just watching. I was like, dude, how? And I think uh, the triple option is a lot more complex than people give it. And there's elements of of a, a double option sort of game in the NFL right now. But it's more of an RPO base where the quarterback can give – or pull and throw or pull and yeah. pitch, right? Yeah. That's the more up-to-date triple option. They don't even call it the option anymore. It's more of an RPO-styled offense. That is just good offense. But going, I think, the triple option as Georgia – as people th- – when you say triple option, you obviously think of, you know – you obviously think of the Georgia Tech or Navy style. And that's just – I don't – I prefer that – I don't prefer that style at all. For example, I think the pro style, when you have a guy like Kyle Shermer, and then you have a guy like Ken Seals, who is being coached by Kyle Shermer, you know, I think that the pro style can give you, in terms of what it can give you, it can really negate talent gaps, I think. As long Mm -hmm. as you have decent size on the line and you have smart players, you can get yourself in advantageous situations. What do I mean by that? It's like, Kyle, for example, when he first started, we would run one play and that was all we would call in the huddle because he it was hard to identify everything. Mm-hmm. But it started to really started to pick it up. I mean, we had three to four plays on the line. We could change around and run. Mm-hmm. And then eventually when I figured stuff out, I could help pack a little bit of that weight off Kyle. And it's not like we were more athletic and better than those freesome natures in the SEC. We were just able to get ourselves in the best possible position play wise to win. That's where I think the pro style is most effective. I don't think lining up and the defense knows there's one of three options and they're just going to out athlete us. I don't think that's the answer. No. And it just doesn't seem logical either because being a Vanderbilt fan, we know Ken Seals is a pro style quarterback. <laughs> he has potential mm-hmm. to be a, one of the better quarterbacks, if not the best to come out of Vanderbilt. So why come in, bring in a coach and say, all right, Hey Ken, uh, you want to try the triple option? Uh, no, <laughs> Ken will instantly. Yeah, if that ha- if they hire a triple option coach, Ken needs to hit the transfer portal. Yep. That- He'd be transfer he, number twenty one. Yep, and then Mike White gets the keys. So exactly. So that's just something you know to look at it. I think a lot of people have come out on Twitter and 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 said, "Hey, triple option." But for Vanderbilt people, we know uh, that is not the way we want to mm-hmm. go. Another 
thing on Twitter I saw today I think will intrigue you, uh, Bruno. Barton Simmons nailed it with one of his tweets today. I'm sure you saw it, but he yeah. said, whoever Vandy talks to needs to be interviewing Vandy as much as they're interviewing him. And that really yeah. – I had never really seen something like that. You know, I, I obviously it's something that pops in our head, but that was really, really impactful to me. I had to sit there and think about it for a while. Bruno, what kind of questions should be asked by that coaching candidate to Vanderbilt? So, yeah, I had the same – this me and Chris had the same discussion. It's an extremely important one. It's one unique to Vanderbilt. If someone – if the Clemson job opened up right now, Alabama job opens up right now, it's sold itself. People would sell their soul for those jobs. At Vandy, it feels like you're selling your soul for the job, right? <laughs> so – you're going to walk in to McGugan. It's going to be unimpressive who, for all I know, Will Haley is going to be like, Oh, you know, we had better things back in Charlotte. Probably not, but hopefully not. <laughs> it, yeah. But that's where the bargaining stage is going to come in. That's where the interview stage is going to come in where, you know, to get a guy who like, cause Will, Will's a top, Will's a top name. You know, you could see that guy. I don't know if he's South Carolina top yet with, cause if you fire Muschamp, you know, you're probably going to aim for, for a pretty big name. I don't know if they take a chance on a, on a guy like that yet, but I yeah. think he's, I think he's a perfect shot for Vanderbilt. And um, I think he's a good fit here, but at the same time, you know, they're going to need to make commitments, whether it's in just a handshake or in a contract or a public declaration of commitment and improvement. That's going to be huge because, you know, he's going to see the weight room. He's going to see that the problems that athletes have because the, I mean, there's a, I talk about all the time, you know, priority registration is not a thing. Uh, there's, it's just little tiny things that goes from players to mm-hmm. the coaches, to the head coach. And the head coach is like, I can't do or fix anything. You know, yeah. I can't like, I'm trying to worry about football. Mm-hmm. I can't help you get your car untowed because you know, you're not allowed to have a car here. Well, if I don't have a car, how am I going to get to class when I'm 10 minutes late after practice? It's, yeah. it's those little things. And they're going to need commitment from the school to kind of fix that and avoid that. Yeah, we, we constantly hear about commitment to athletics, commitment to mm-hmm. facility upgrades, these big, broad terms. But you, you kind of have a unique perspective that you played there for four years and you got to experience the actual inside of that, the inner workings of that athletic program and athletic department. So what are some specific things that day one, we kind of use the theoretical of you have the AD job. What What is day one needs to be put into motion specifically um, to get Vanderbilt not on the same level, but at least competitive where it's not a recruiting disadvantage necessarily? Yeah, day one things are going to be the weight room and locker room. Uh, big long-term projects got to be the stadium, right? Those are two things. I mean, the weight room's too small. The weight room's too small to the point where uh, we can't work out the whole team at once. If we really wow. needed to, we have to bust it up into, I think we can get away with two groups, but sometimes we do three to four, right? And that's that's a weird dynamic for a team to have because you have to split it one way or another. So we usually mm-hmm. do offense, defense, and you you benefit as a team having everybody in there, you know, building the chemistry and stuff. So those yeah. are the first two things I would do. I mean, on the, on the facilities fronts or get committed when I was there, our training room was probably the size of my room right now. Like where I'm at, it was absolutely awful. And they got that fixed up and now it's a top level training room. But, uh, and that, and that was extremely good move. And it was extremely helpful, especially from a guy who tore his PCL. So I was glad to, I was glad to yep. get that, get that, get that comfort in. But, uh, yeah, those are the first two things I'll have to address. I think, uh, I think they said that construction is going to start in the locker room by next year. Maybe they said, yeah, we've been hearing some different dates on that, okay. but you know, so I don't... 
I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't have a direct link to, to the athletic director Lee or anything, but, uh, and I'm sure those dates are fluid too, even on her end. Mm -hmm. So we probably won't get a straight answer on that, but I do think that's going to happen. I think locker room is going to happen. I don't know about weight room yet, but I think locker room is going to happen. Yeah. And you said you don't have a direct link to the athletic director. So this question may be, maybe kind of out of your realm here of knowledge Mm -hmm. and you don't want to speculate, but so far, yeah, there we go. That's why we're here. Uh, so far with, with Candace Story Lee, that, do you think she is the person to be in that position to get those things done? Um, or, or do you think that maybe somebody like Tommy McClellan that they brought in as an associate athletic director might might be better suited? I think I think uh, athletic director Lee just made a huge statement today, one that mm-hmm. a lot of alumni can get behind. I mean, absolutely huge, because when you're in the AD position, it's it's a political position and you, when you, when she does these open Q and A's and stuff, it's very hard to get a straight answer on things. You know, the, the responses seem very contrived. So it's a hard, it's a lot of buy-in. And then I'm friends with a lot of guys on the team. So I hear the things, the COVID situation and I'm a friends with the families and they're all upset about, you know, not going to the games and stuff. So it's just, it just hasn't been a good vibe over there. And then, you know, so, and I've always been outspoken and guys, I'm a huge Mason fan, but I also want the university to set a standard for, for, you know, not only excellence, but what's not tolerated. And in year seven, to oh, and eight season is just, that's, that's a hard thing to go through. But for her to make that decision before the season even ended, I mean, that got a lot of binds from, I mean, I, I don't think there's anybody that can disagree with that unless on an emotional level, you're like, that was tough on Coach Mason, someone who sacrificed for him so much for the university, you know, could have at least let him finish out the season. But part of me thinks that they might have been, you know, this might have been in the works for a little bit and then let 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 the let the ducks get sorted out and then let him, you know, go off with these and start and start anew so yeah yeah the extra eyes on that game on that 41 to nothing drubbing on saturday may have contributed to speeding up that process but we'll we'll really never know what what those private conversations were like mm -hmm. and there was and there was speculation for sure that you know all the the sarah thing like this is a huge thing save jobs like obviously like all the with this decision all that goes out the window like this was that like that was all good and all but when we talk about football they're making the decisions they need and that's huge. That's, that's a good thing. Yep. No doubt. And, and with Mason, you mentioned you're a Mason fan and, and, you know, he had a, he had a tough, tough, he's had a tough year, obviously yeah. the, the, the overall record 27 and 55, Oh, and eight uh, this year, they've lost 12 straight sec games. You can go, you can talk about stat after stat, but that the fact that he got fired, it had to happen, but for you and, and your personal um, life, Bruno, the past, the four years you spent under coach Mason, what, what, what did you learn about, you know, not only football, but, but how to approach life in terms of relentless, tough, and intelligent, and 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 really the impact that he had on your life because a ton of players on Twitter are coming out and really and paying their respects to him. Uh huh. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, <laughs> it's funny when I was introduced for my uh, senior share, which is at whenever you're a senior, and uh, you know, I was obviously I was named one of the team captains that year, mm-hmm. and uh, they go up, you go up, and you give a speech the night before a game in front of the whole team, like support staff, everybody, right? Ah. So before I go out for mine, he was like, all right. And he, he like, he like leads you on. You don't know who's going to go up. So he was like, this guy, me and this guy, man, I hated this guy or something along those lines. Cause me, cause I was, I wasn't, 
I don't know any other way to say this. I was an asshole, man. Like when I first came into <laughs> Vanderbilt, I came from a world of fighting, judo, wrestling. It was all one-on-one stuff, right? I did not know how to work with a team. I didn't know how to do any of that stuff, right? So, and I wasn't even that good at football yet myself. And this guy was just super tough on me, like, like, like try to break you tough, but then build you back up, right? Mm-hmm. So. I always, and I learned, I basically went from the most, the least team guy in the world to eventually becoming a team captain and one that, you know, a team captain that's, that was, I guess, respected enough, which I take pride in. That's probably one of my greatest accomplishments that guys will call me up for advice now and just be like, Hey, this and this, you know, can you keep it on down low? What do I do? And I just talk with these guys. Right. And we, we have, and I have a good connection still with the team at that point. So I, and I owe that to coach Mason. I mean, coach Mason, my offensive line coaches, coach Leitner, coach Norcross, coach Ledwig. I mean, it was really, it was a family over there when I was there, it was a family and that's why people love him. I mean, everybody has a different story, especially when you're coaching 90, hundred guys at the end of the season, but he changed me and I take it to, I take it to life now. And it's, it's leading to some opportunities and success. And, and I this- owe that to him. Yeah, and this may shock some people. I'm not. Sure, I don't think it'll shock you, but Derek Mason changed the Tennessee Vanderbilt rivalry. He really did. Yeah. He changed it in the competition level. You could obviously James Franklin changed it, but but Derek mm-hmm. Mason, you know, kind of adapted and said, "Hey, you know, we're we're having tough years, but we're going to finish these seasons strong and go out and beat our our in-state rival Tennessee. Obviously, you three and zero against Tennessee. Well, not three. You're three and one against Tennessee. Uh, but again, yep. you had those three straight victories over Tennessee that you know for Vanderbilt fans meant so much at the time. And you know those two bowl games obviously were huge as well. But just talk about what it was like being on, on those teams and and finishing the season strong. You know, under a quarterback like Kyle Shermer, who also just mm-hmm. dominated Tennessee in in his career. <laughs> yeah, those were uh, those are fond memories, man. Some of the best I'll probably have in my life. I'll probably be sixty. 70, 80, old, dying, still thinking about Tennessee and Kyle Shermer with a 12 out of 12 completion percentage in like the first quarter of my yep. senior senior year. And I'm just, I remember I looked at Kyle during late scored. I think we went up, to, we, we were at 21 points. And he was like 12 for 12 or something. I looked at him, I was like, dude, you couldn't do this like every game, man. Come on. But uh, <laughs> we just had those games. They were tough seasons, man. Those were some really tough seasons. Alabama trouncing us while we're three and zero. We just came off a ranked road win or home mm-hmm. win against K State, and that derails the whole season. Um, sophomore year, we were just trying to figure things out. We had a good defense, but it was, I, I believe that was one of our our first or second year under Coach Ludwig, and we were still trying to get get it built up. And then my senior year, you know, things really came together offensively. We were probably one of the top top three or four in the conference, but you know, all things considered that we just didn't gonna get it done as a team that year, but we always showed some resilience to show up when, when, I mean, when it mattered most, um, cause we were never going to win the Natty or the East at that point. But so what were we playing for? My goal was always to win the SEC East. I desperately wanted to be the first Vanderbilt team to do that. And as crazy as it sounds, I truly believed we could have, but I also really valued the fact that we didn't give up. And I was, it was personal for me too. No doubt mm-hmm. about it. I hated Tennessee and I was, I very much disliked coach Jones. I really wanted to go there. And that was a, that was a little beef I had. So yeah. getting those wins and then getting those wins afterwards were, <laughs> were, it was absolutely huge for me. And to say the game, when, when you look at my press conferences back then when I was on the team, I said the right things, right? Like, Oh, this, this shouldn't matter, but it did matter more. Like it just did. It just means more, man. 
Mm. Yeah, I, I I know you grew up in the Tennessee area, and and I grew up in Nashville as a lifelong Vandy fan. So the, those definitely meant a lot to me, especially yeah. experiencing Tennessee dominating. But for, oh for the first time, once once Franklin kind of got there out, outside of that 2008 season under Bobby Johnson, for the first time you experienced Vanderbilt receiving kind of national respect and respect within the Southeastern Conference, and that's kind of faded throughout um, Mason's tenure. What does the next coach have to do to get back to that level of respectability and kind of getting Vanderbilt in that positive light uh, across the country? I truly believe in, you know, in a ch- they, they, this is so cheesy, right? In kindergarten, you make those smart goals and then you make a Venn diagram, right? But I think there's, <laughs> a, I think there's some merit to that. You can't just come in and be like, we're going to be SEC champs and that's it. And then your first year, you talk it up, talk it up, talk it up. And then you go three and nine, right? I think we need every, we just had a winless season or we're, we're trending towards a winless season, right? So what's the goal next year? I think if we if if we're still winless, what's something the head coach can do next year? Obviously, build up in everything. You know, we can look at the stats, try and improve in every one, and maybe win one or two SEC games, right? And then the next year, what's something we can do after that? Win every single out of conference game because so hopefully coronavirus is over by then. Win every single OOC game, and then maybe knock off one, two, and if you knock off two SEC teams, even three, mm-hmm. heck, you're at a winning record there. Mm-hmm. And then after that, that's when you can start working towards the East. All right. So I want, I just want a progressive sort of trend up. And there, that once you get that, there will be up and down years, right? Like David Shaw couldn't keep Stanford on top of the pack for on top of the pack 12 forever. But it, like, like when Mason made his wave comments, I truly think there was some merit to it. If you're the, if you're the long-term head coach, but that's like, you know, SEC East, SEC East, then you go to a bowl game that year, or maybe you win five games and then you start trending back up. This was just totally different in terms of, you know, we're back at square one. Yeah. Those are also comments that I think Vanderbilt fans all understand, but it's one of those kind of things you don't really want the head coach to say publicly. Um, Mm -hmm. Even though we kind of all understand that situation, it's kind of one of those things Mm -hmm. that's like kind of an unsaid understanding. It was a big slap in the face. It's what it kind of felt like. And, you know, as much as we think think that as fans, like you said, Will, it's something, you know, as as a coach, you just don't, you know, you shouldn't probably say. And as a fan, you really don't want to hear. So it's it's just something that, you know, obviously Mo Hassan tweeted about it. I don't know mm-hmm. if you saw that, Bruno. That I was did. kind of comical. Um, interesting tweet. Um, but I, I, we, we're running out of time here to close it out, Bruno. One more uh, question that I have for the top three candidates right now. Obviously, we're speculating this. They just started the search. We mentioned a few already, but um, kind of putting you in the shoes of the AD again. Who would be your top three coaching candidates for Vanderbilt uh, next season? So top three right now in terms of ties and for my speculations, I speculate on people who I know will truly have interest to the job for one reason or another. Clark Lee is one of them. So he is one in the top three. Will Healy is another one. And then the other one is Jamie Chadwell. He's a name that's been going around. Obviously he's interested. These are two. So these are two small schooler head coaches and there's one big school, you know, really name recognized coordinator, right? I don't think Mm -hmm. Vanderbilt's ever going to get the uh, recognized big head coach, right? Like we're not going to take someone from like, say someone has a good year at Colorado and we can't, we can't hire them off that, you know? So Mm -hmm. I think the, the, the name of three with Jamie Chadwell, Will Healy Mm -hmm. and Clark Lee is a good place 
to start. And that doesn't mean like these guys have to be the guys or I'm out. Right. That's, that's not what I'm saying at all. And speculating is fun. I saw one person, you know, say like, uh, you know, stop the list or whatever. Like, no, lists are fun. fun. Like, well, let's, yeah. let's, let's have, let's have some fun, man. Yeah, um, let's do so, it. So, so those are the first three names as a fan. And I guess a journalist, I guess I am a sports journalist now. Yep. So I guess as, as a name, those are the three that are going to be circulated in the early parts the most. Obviously, we have some real, uh, once the journalisming actually starts, we'll be able to <laughs> track down some names and see yep. what the what the administration is thinking. But there I think those are first, a good three names. There you have it from Bruno Reagan from VandySports.com. Clark Lee, Will Healy, and Jamie Chadwell are his top three. And we'll see where Vanderbilt goes with the coaching candidates after Derek Mason has been fired. Bruno, we, we could have, I think we could have kept talking. We talked about before we could have ta- had this for about two hours, but uh, thank you so much for taking the time. And uh, again, good luck tomorrow with the midday 180. No problem guys. Appreciate it. I had a lot of fun.